Capital Allocators is brought to you by 10 East, an investment platform for sophisticated investors to access private markets. 10 East brings benefits of having your own family office without the cost and headaches of doing so. It's founded and led by Michael LaFell, former deputy executive managing member of Davidson Kempner. Michael and his investment team offer members the opportunity to co-invest by offering at their discretion. Michael and his team source, diligence, and commit material personal capital to each investment. The opportunities shared on the Tennis platform offer exposure to private credit, real estate, niche venture and private equity, and other idiosyncratic investments that typically aren't available through traditional channels. The principals have over a decade track record of investing in these types of exposures across more than 350 transactions. Post-investment, the Tendies team conducts ongoing monitoring and reporting, just as you'd expect from an institutional investment organization. I've known Michael for about a decade, and after becoming impressed by the quality of Tendies offerings, its research process, and high-quality investment team, I became an advisor to the organization and investor in multiple offerings. You can learn more and join me as a member at 10east.co. That's the number 10, east.co. Hi, I hope you're healthy and staying safe. My friends at ProSec Partners reached out with the idea of having a mini-series about some of the issues facing allocators in this novel environment. How are they thinking about risk and opportunities? How are they communicating with managers? And how will they conduct due diligence and push forward? I'm grateful to the very busy professionals who spared time to share their thoughts. And a special thanks to ProSec Partners for sponsoring the series. For more than 20 years, ProSec has been building and protecting brands on behalf of leading financial institutions. To learn more, have a listen to my conversation with Jen ProSec that follows on the feed. I'll be putting out these conversations in addition to the regular programming on Mondays. Hello, I'm Ted Seides, and this is Capital Allocators. This show is an open exploration of the people and process behind capital allocation. Through conversations with leaders in the money game, we learn how these holders of the keys to the kingdom allocate their time and their capital. You can keep up to date by visiting CapitalAllocatorsPodcast.com. My guest on today's show once again is Sandra Robertson, OU Endowment Management's esteemed CEO and CIO. Sandra rejoined me for an update on how she and her team have been navigating these markets. It's quick and chock full of wisdom, including her priorities, calibration of the portfolio, assessment of opportunities, and shopping list in a time that she renders too late to sell and too early to buy. Please enjoy my update with Sandra Robertson. Sandra, thanks so much for jumping back in. Well, what a difference a month makes, huh? Oh, it's just incredible. I'd love to hear, you know, when we recorded a month ago, The markets had just started bouncing around, and we were talking a little bit about how you were thinking about reacting to that within the portfolio. And why don't we start there? What have you done over the last month? I think I probably followed the same routine as most CIOs. I think the first thing was to make sure that the team were okay and that we could operate all from home. Luckily, 
we have that technology, we've got great IT support, we're all set up for that. The second thing is to look at the portfolio, understand what are your key liabilities that you have to meet in the next six to 12 months, and make sure you've got ample liquidity for that. And we're in the third phase now, which is really trying to figure out where perhaps there could be opportunities from this, but also figure out really where the deepest impact is going to be in the portfolio because that's not clear yet. What have you seen thus far? Well, a real mixed reaction, of course. We're a global investor. And so if you put the world into three areas, there's Asia. We had a lot of dialogue in January and February with our managers on the ground in Hong Kong and in China. And of course, if you've been in certainly in Hong Kong and in China for the last 12 to 24 months, this isn't the first thing that you've had to deal with. You've had a trade war. You've had the political situation in Hong Kong. You also had the swine. Then, of course, you were hit by this. And I think what we've seen is China slowly coming out of this. Europe, of course, we're in the midst of it, certainly in the UK. And thankfully, you're starting to see a little bit tapering off in new numbers and new cases in Italy and Spain. And the US, of course, has now started to go into it. So from different areas of the world, we have very different points of view. We even had one of our fabulous Chinese managers email us and say, would you like us to send you some masks? <laughs> Which wow. is very thoughtful of them. And of course, in Europe and the UK, we're also trying to grapple with this. And of course, just watching scenes and talking to people in New York, that is truly horrific. So I think a lot of people are in survival mode at the moment, just getting through. With the investment business, of course, there's lots of chatter. Everyone's following stats. Everyone's trying to forecast when when things will be resolved. But this is completely different from the GFC. I mean, this is a medical global crisis, and we are not the experts in the investment business. The markets are not the experts on this. Yeah. So a couple of the things we had talked about in levers in early March, one was just the way you'll toggle your public equity exposure. How have you thought about the public equity exposure over this period of time? Yeah. So all of our public equities are actively managed. We have no passive equity exposure. We have a lot of very experienced managers. They've lived through seen many crises, whether it's in Asia, Europe, or the US. We had some capital. We invested when some of our managers thought the valuations, certainly mid-month March, had just reached a very, very compelling value. So we put a little bit of money into the market. However, this is just my personal opinion. I think that the sell-off we saw in March was the initial reaction of fear. This was something outside of our control, something outside of markets control. I think that you're going to see markets remain volatile because we really haven't seen any significant businesses fail yet. And throughout our portfolio, that's what we're talking to our managers about, whether it's in the public markets or the private markets. How are the businesses positioned for the next three to six months in terms of cash flow? Can they survive with no or little revenues? And of course, you have a wide mix of businesses. So some businesses are actually doing quite well in this environment. Are you finding your managers effectively calling for the ball and saying, oh, no, valuations are cheaper now, say, on the public side? This is a great time to add? No, not on the whole. There's been one or two companies that have got very cheap that have been sold off if they're associated particularly with the airline industry. 
But if you look at markets over a three-year period, they are still, well, they were of yesterday still flat to slightly up, perhaps with the exception of UK equities. I don't think people are seeing compelling valuations in the way that markets have sold off in the past. And what are you hearing thus far from private equity managers? So we've spoken to all of our private equity managers, and we have a wide variety, as you can imagine, of different managers. We don't tend to have large buyouts in our portfolio, but the buyout managers we've spoken to, their focus again has been on talking to management teams, preserving cash where you can. We also talk to them about the treatment of their staff, how they're thinking about this through this time period. We've been really encouraged by how thoughtful they have been. Uh, Many of them have been in this area. The management teams, I think you're really going to sort out strong management teams from mediocre management teams in this environment. And of course, most of them at very early signs of this called down their credit lines. So that was certainly company by company. We saw that and the banks honoured them. So that is great. I mean, that's really encouraging. So a lot of people, we know we have to just survive over the next three to six months. How have you thought about your currency exposure during this period? Well, for a sterling investor, it's always good to have exposure to the dollar. <laughs> and I don't know if I said that in my last interview, but in a risk-off environment, the dollar is still a major global reserve currency, if not the reserve currency. So the yen, the dollars, it's always good for a sterling investor to own those during times of crisis. At what point in time do you start to think about putting some additional cash to work? I think that there's a phrase that I've seen in several news items, which is, it's too late to sell, too early to buy. Well, we're not a seller generally, but I think we really need to see a little bit more visibility. Where something has just got silly, that's an easier buy. But at the moment, you just don't know what's going to happen, how long this is going to last. And there will be some business failures over this time. And perhaps areas you thought were going to be opportunities might go away and go away very quickly. And then as you look out, let's assume we're in this virtual working world for you know at least a little while. When the time comes for you to put capital to work, how do you expect to do the due diligence both on your existing portfolio and then in particular with anything that was in your pipeline or new managers? Well, we're quite lucky in that we always have a list of things that we would like to do if we, of course, had limitless cash. And the team have done pretty good diligence on those already. But we In the UK, our property team um, would struggle a little bit to buy a building without inspecting it, but they're both incredibly experienced. And if it was a building they knew and felt comfortable with doing that, of course, we are in the position where we could do that. One of the areas we've been looking at is sell-off, particularly in property stocks in the UK. You can do that with desk-based research. And then with some of the managers that we've been looking at or talking to for quite a while, we've met them. It would mainly be on the operational DD, and you can do that by Zoom calls. What's happening now in the UK property market? Well, I think with most markets, it's not frozen, but it's come to a bit of a standstill because people are not quite sure how to value things. They've sent out in the UK, invoices tend to go out quarterly in advance. I think the industry average is around 30% collection rate. Ours is slightly higher than that. We've got some fantastic tenants we're working with on a case-by-case basis to make sure that they can survive through this period. So I think that there isn't a lot transacting at the moment that wasn't already in the pipeline, but we don't know what 
really how that's going to play out over a three to six month period. And where else are you keeping your eye out for opportunities? Well, I mean, of course, it would always be great where we haven't been able to get allocation to a particular manager. If there was a secondary opportunity there, we would be willing to consider that. That would be something we, we have a list. That would be something we'd like to talk to our GPs about. So there's little pockets of opportunity, I think. No major swings in this environment. Do you have your team focused on any particular area of research? Well, what we're focused on at the moment is going through all of our underlying portfolios in the private space and bucketing what we think is a traffic light system. I think most people are using this. Really, what is not going to survive red? What is amber? And what actually might grow and thrive in this environment green? Because I think that would be nice overall for us to have that idea in the portfolio. But that's a changing a changing situation. Yeah. And is that by an underlying company basis or are you thinking about it more at the manager level? No, it's underlying company basis. Most of our managers have already done this. We've just been really, really pleased with the quality of the teams that we backed and the provision of this information to us. And do you aggregate that up to try to understand maybe it's industry concentration within the private portfolio to help you figure out where you might be exposed? That is the end goal of this. Yeah to have an overall aggregate across the portfolio so that we can manage expectations. What's been different in how you're thinking and how you're working than you might have expected in an unknowable situation? Oh, I mean, for us, and I imagine a lot of similar teams, our days were all apart, but our days are pretty as normal. I thought I'd be quieter than I am. We're incredibly busy. Of course, things that were in the pipeline were completing, so we haven't come to a stop. For us, because you don't know how long this is going to last, we just want to make sure that we've got liquidity to see us through. We've just paid out our distribution to our investors this year, so we only pay out the endowment once a year. We've already got next year set aside. So that leaves us quite a lot of space and time to really start to look up now and think about the next six to 12 months. It's hard to pinpoint specific areas of interest because this is such a fast developing situation. And I think the open-ended nature of it is just incredible. I think humanity, we've been able to control so much for so long and this we cannot control. And we're just watching on a day-by-day basis. And it's fantastic to be part of a university like Oxford. I think we have 120 researchers trying to work on either vaccines or testing. And that really brings home to you the importance of what we do is to make sure that we can protect the annual payout to our investors. Terrific. Well, Sandra, I really appreciate you taking the time in this very busy time and just want to leave it open. Are there anything else to comment on that we didn't touch on? No, I mean, I just, I'm just really pleasantly surprised by the behavior of the people that we've partnered with and just thankful for all the incredible hard work that not only they are doing, but the underlying companies are doing. Everyone is in this together. And it's going to be interesting to see what impact this has in the the overall investment business looking back, say, in five years' time. Yeah, terrific. Sandra, thanks so much. Thanks, then. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found a nugget or two to take away and apply in your investing and your life. If you'd like what you heard, please tell a friend and maybe even write a review on iTunes. You'll help others discover the show, and I thank you for it. Have a good one, and see you next time. 